I'm Jordan Ferguson. And I'm Kate McKinnon. And you are listening to the Geek Down Podcast. What's up, friends? Welcome back to another fantastic episode of the Geek Down Podcast. This is a show where two friends sit in front of microphones and try to find the sweet spots where their fandoms intersect. My name is Jordan Ferguson. I am in Toronto, Ontario, and joining me on the other line, lounging in the satellite branch at scenic Hamilton, Ontario, it is your girl, Caitlin McKinnon. Hey, yo. Hey, Chef to stretch and Bob Beto. This is episode 199. As are all of our episodes 199 until such time as we can properly commemorate episode 200, which may be never. They may just... Oh, it'll be in maybe a year. <laughs> <laughs> spring. Spring is optimistic. Hey, no, listen. Shouts to Donald McNeil. He's the uh, New York Times science slash pandemic writer um he was the one who was making me feel real bad about the uh, likelihood of my japan trip back in early march or late february he was out there early being like this shit's gonna go bad at the time i was like that seems a little alarmist but homeboy was right homeboy has been out there recently being saying like i'm a little optimistic for spring but y'all got to behave this holiday i'm sorry you're not gonna have a good christmas but he's optimistic so who knows maybe maybe this time next year Everything will be back to normal-ish. We'll just all be dealing with the shared trauma of living through this time. Friends, if you want to go back and hear the entire chronicle of this year through this podcast, you can listen to any of our other episode 199s or any of our other 199 episodes by going wherever you get your audio content. Search Geek Down Podcast. We will appear. Then click follow, subscribe, like, dap, big ups, back pat. What's it called? Goose? Little, little butt goose? tap when you're coming off the court oh, playing basketball. No, no, no. A, a goose is a pinch. That's a pinch. A goose is a butt pinch. Yeah, that's goosing someone. Well, what's the tap? Good the game. Tap? You want to give us a good game? <laughs> a little tap on what the. Is, what are you talking about? Well, basketball like, players oh, and football oh, players are like, like always slapping their asses when they come off the field and shit. Like. Yeah. Yeah, that's because of the repressed homosexuality in those sports. Well, there you go. Friends, if you want to help us express our repressed homosexuality, use any of the aforementioned options available to you, and henceforth, every week, a man who does not define himself by your strict binaries. Oh, I thought you were going to go into it more. No. Nope. Uh, Sir Chauncey Frostilicus III, geek down internet, internet elf. With a name like that, how could he possibly adhere to your archaic labels? You know what? He doesn't even put his, his, her, him, they on his name tag either. We call him Sir. I call him your man's, but all these things are fluid. Um, we call Janeway, sir. <laughs> that we do. Y'all, Chauncey's just going to drop those episodes straight into your device. You don't have to do anything. He loves to do it in your ear hole, and he's going to do it in your ear holes each and every week because that is the service that we provide to you free of charge. If you're, like, free, that's unacceptable. I want to give you my money. We appreciate that, but politely decline. Yeah, don't don't do that because um, in the coming apocalypse, you're gonna <laughs> probably need anything, anything you can get. You should probably start collecting cans. Who knows what the what the monetary value of anything is gonna be? That. Bottle caps. We could have uh, you know a fallout situation. I, I mean, I really don't know what to tell you, but just start hoarding. Just start hoarding. <laughs> it's fine. Kate McKinnon. 
chief endorser of hoarding. <laughs> Enjoy. Meanwhile, I'm like getting rid of junk, but I'm like, maybe I should keep certain things in case I need to burn them for warm. Maybe I could, maybe I could barter this empty saran wrap roll. Friends, if you do have just too much money and you don't know what to do with it, you can always buy us a coffee at ko-fi.com slash geekdownpod. Three bucks. We appreciate it. We look at you sternly, but we appreciate it nonetheless. But we do that, like, head thing, like, ah, you, thank you. (laughs) Oh, you listeners. We love you. If you want to include your Twitter handle so we can thank you on our Twitter at geekdownpod, which is where we primarily hang out. I mean, Facebook is there, but as Kate pointed out, the last place you want to be in a pandemic is the old mall. Oh, it just what, what did I liken it? Too long it, for the good old days. What did I liken it to? I think I said on the last post that promoting on Facebook is like putting up a fucking like flyer for juggling lessons on the community cork board. <laughs> <laughs> it's like go ahead, tear, tear off a yeah. number if you want, but you know what you're going to get. We're at Facebook too. I mean, whatever, but come hang with us on it Twitter. Just, I long for the days where, where like, the internet didn't exist, and we went to the old mall. That's what I long for. I think I had a dream about the old mall in my hometown not too long ago. Oh, really? I think it was, spur- my- I think it was spurred by thinking about the community corkboard <laughs> for that Facebook post. Amazing. And I dreamed about the old mall and its community corkboard and not understanding. I, live in a, I lived in a town of, like, 8,000 people then. I'm like, what, there's this much going on? Where I've walked these streets. Wow. <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> Who's juggling here? Nonsense. Must be university students. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. Commuting <laughs> into the bustling metropolis of Windsor. Friends, we had a beefy ass episode last week and we have a hard out today. Your man's has got to work this evening. Shouts to the class war. Whoop whoop. So it's not going to be as a jam-packed an episode today, and also I've been just been struggling with my <laughs> existential crisis since the death of Chaz- Chadwick Boseman, so doing okay today. <laughs> like we said last well, week, good. nothing better than when uh, someone your age dies and you wake up every day keenly aware that you have been gifted a day that that person did not get. Woo-hoo! Oh, God! Oh, oh God! man! You got serious issues. Oh, I, I purged all that on uh, on Instagram. Yesterday, when I basically it stems down to just my own um, what did I refer to it as? Um, my creative impulse combined with a poisonous perfectionism and general imposter syndrome. Well, you nailed those. And when all those three start getting in a three-way dance together, it's like I have a, <laughs> I have a I have an idea that starts. I'm like. Oh, I might want to do something with that. I'm fired up. And then I start to think about it. And then I'll see something online or something that was a little similar, maybe, or kind of struck the same note. And I'm like, well, that's fucking somebody already said it. So, and they're smarter than me and younger than me and not white. So let them, that's fine. That's fine. I'll just play fall guys. It's fine. (laughs) And then I feel sad, but I'm making a concerted effort to not feel sad anymore and to not give a shit if someone already said it before. If when I die, the people just find stacks of moleskins. If it's like fucking Kevin Spacey's house in the movie Seven, it's just notebooks filled, it's just moleskins filled with shit in tiny printing. Damn it! At least I'll have died happy. Damn, son. I got a lot going on. psychology. Got a lot going on, y'all. <laughs> I'm a rich tapestry, but we do still have nerd shit, somewhat to talk about. One thing I did see late last night that I wanted to uh, discuss 
was it's been a hot minute since we had to talk about something dumb that World Wrestling Entertainment has engaged in. That's always fun. It is always fun. Uh, what else has been happening in the world of the world of wrestling? Um, AEW had their All Out event last night, which was sort of I don't I don't know if they have a WrestleMania equivalent, but All Out last year was sort of the like the coming out party for AEW. Like it was always kind of rumored the first AEW event was All Out before the TV show and before all that. That was their one off event that was then going to lead into everything that came since, and they have had their second annual All Out last night. Chris Jericho lost to Orange Cassidy when he was uh, punched into a giant barrel of mimosa. That's about all you need to know about how delightful (laughs) all elite wrestling. Also in the world of wrestling, worth noted, all you anti-maskers and, you know, COVID deniers, the fucking rock got coronavirus. So fat white man with your mask under your nose, don't think you're immune. The fucking rock got coronavirus. Yeah, seriously. You are not the rock, friendo. No, you are not. Mm, no, you are not. Speaking of not adhering to rigid rules of sexuality, mm, Dwayne, I just want just want to be held by him, you know? So oh, oh, yeah. I just want to feel safe in his arms. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing, but it's legit not a joke. I would probably just burst into tears if I got hugged by the rock. <laughs> really? Probably, yeah. Well, I mean, I've been watching the dude since I was, like, you know, 17 or something, right? Like, But I didn't know you were, like, a fan. Of Dwayne? Yeah. Oh my God! If you watch some of Dwayne's old stuff, it's some of it's questionable because I mean it was the '90s. I just remember there was one where he was like yelling at an interviewer to dance the Charleston because they were in Charleston, and that still makes me laugh to this day. Why don't you coach? Why don't you dance the Charleston? So we will recall that since the pandemic, WWE has made a number of odd and questionable choices. Most notably, Black Wednesday back in April, when despite having a year of record profitability, the most profitable year WWE has maybe ever had based on the strength of their television contracts. They still axed like, uh, like 400 people, I think wrestlers behind the scenes, people that number may be wrong, but a lot of people got laid off for a load fired, including notable mid carters. Some of whom have turned up on impact wrestling or AEW or new Japan. But I mean, at the time it was just a real head scratcher to be like, it's a pandemic and you're the only <laughs> quote sports league firing people. That's a bad look. Yeah. And then as, as with all bad looks, they just kind of fade until another bad look shows up. And this is where we are today where, so are you familiar with cameo? Yeah, I know cameo. Yeah. This is a site where celebrities, and I do use that term loosely because it is somewhat loosely used on the site. Uh, can basically, you know, sell off, you know, two minutes of their time. It's called cameo. Cause that's about the length of the length of the time they will give you for your money. Yeah. <laughs> a walk on cameo. We'll talk about, we'll talk about cameos and how dope they are when we get in updates. Um, but basically, you know, long story short, I realized that, uh, ice cube is on cameo <laughs> last night and shouts to Mr. Malash. I started thinking down the line, man, if I can get ice cube to wish Mr. Malash a happy birthday, be fucking amazing. Mr. Mm-hmm. Malash, Ice Cube wants $500 to wish you a happy birthday. Oh my god. Ice Cube well, will, go Ice Cube, kind of, like. Ice Cube will not. Ice Cube, listen, I'm, I wasn't surprised. I'll say that. Ice Cube, really, for Ice Cube, it seems like, that seems reasonable to me. Um, yeah. 
but I, I like I don't know all the I don't know all the pay bands of cameo, but I mean I think it was like you know some of these wrestlers hundred bucks seventy five bucks something like that they send you a little video and they say you say happy you know they say happy birthday or just hey what's up type of thing really it's it's dumb but it's a way for them to make money and especially for a lot of these indie wrestlers or guys who were furloughed and stuff like that like it's an income stream right if all you've got yeah, yeah. if all you've got is your name and your likeness because the trade that you ply is unavailable like that's one way to go about it and a lot of other wrestlers like aj styles just started uh, a twitch account recently and it's apparently been blowing up and like i don't know a lot about how twitch is used to make money but apparently like you know you can sh- sell subscriptions and people will buy subscriptions and that means you get like emotes are big like the little you know emojis you put in the chat stream or stuff like that and as well maybe you get you know ad banners or stuff like that and you get revenue that way shouts to og geek down fan uh chef trebs <laughs> who just recently became yeah. a twitch just recently became a twitch affiliate shouts to the homie but i mean these are ways that wrestlers were using to kind of like you know pad their incomes in these uncertain times um so a lot of people thought it was shitty when the wwe put out a decree Banning superstars from third-party contracts like Twitch and Cameo. What? Basically saying, you can't do it anymore. Oh, that's not cool. The statement they put out, this comes from Bleacher Report through Pro Wrestling Sheets' Ryan Satin, says, quote, much like Disney and Warner Brothers, because you know that's that's who the old man aspires to be like, WWE creates, promotes, and invests in its intellectual property, i.e. the stage names of performers like The Fiend, Bray Wyatt, Roman Reigns, Big E, and Braun Strowman. It is a control, it is the control and exploitation, I mean, qu- accurate if questionable use of terms, of these characters that allows WWE to drive revenue, which in turn enables the company to compensate performers at the highest levels in the sports entertainment industry. Sort of basically saying you're undercutting our ability to pay you when you do this, which is a nice bit of mental gymnastics. Notwithstanding, the contractual language is imperative for the success of our company to protect our greatest assets and establish partnerships with third parties on a company-wide basis, rather than at the individual level, which as a result will provide more value for all involved. So, uh, number one, this now makes it clear to me, while WWE superstar Xavier Woods launched his very successful Up, Up, Down, Down video game YouTube channel under the name Austin Creed, and everybody who appears on it has given different names than what we would know them as, your man, your man Xavier was out front. He he saw the wind was blowing when he started this. So I mean, shouts to him. Also, uh, one thing about the comparison to Disney and Warner Brothers. Yeah. yeah. Chris Evans played Captain America. Yeah. Disney does not get to ban Chris Evans from making a cameo no, because not. he played Captain America. Because we all know he's not Captain America. And he's not getting up there and saying, even if he does, even if fucking Chris Evans goes to, I mean, granted, it's a little different. I'm fudging it a little bit, but like if homeboy goes to a hospital and maybe he never says it, but every kid in the room thinks he's Captain America. You don't get to tell him not to do that. It's his fucking face. And also even better on all of this, as we all know through like John Oliver's piece, or if you paid attention to this stuff, wrestlers are not employees. They're 1099 independent contractors. This is how you get around paying for their health care. Just so upsetting. We have known this for ages. They're not even employees. So you don't get to fucking tell them what they can do 
in their spare time. And they're trying to come out now and saying, like, we will work with you to find these opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. Basically, so, yeah, so they can get a fucking cut off of it, right? Like, yeah, we will help AJ Styles with his Twitch stream. So, you know, oh, and this is what made it even better. Andrew Yang, former presidential candidate, Andrew Yang, um, hopped on, <laughs> hopped on Twitter and said, quote, if I'm not the secretary of labor, I'm pretty confident I'll have his or her number to talk about the ridiculous classification of WWE wrestlers as independent contractors while controlling their name and likeness for years, even for something as benign as Cameo. Come on, Vince, you've already deprived the folks breaking their backs for you of healthcare, security, recovery time, retirement benefits, and fair treatment regarding licenses and royalties. At least let them make a living off of their own names. Many of them need it. So, stop being shitty. You had... This is not just for Vince. This is for every fucking millionaire billionaire on the planet. I'm deep communist today, y'all. You're just going to have to deal with it. Sorry if it doesn't align with your political viewpoints. You had decades to act this way. Centuries, really, if we want to get into it. People like you have had centuries to act this way. And then a pandemic hit. And as the pandemic has proven to all of us, the rules, as they were established, crumble very easily. And are not eat the rich, eat the rich, are not applicable anymore. You don't get to not treat these people like employees under your company, and then have a say in what they do with their name and likeness. You just don't. You don't. It's not how it works. It's like a major Canadian retailer tried to tell me I can't do this podcast. Two separate things. It's always been very clear that the opinions of Jordan Ferguson are not those of major Canadian retailer and do not reflect major Canadian retailers' core values. But if major Canadian retailer tried to tell me that. I can't do this podcast anymore. Number one, I would say, where have you been for five years? <laughs> wow, has it been that long? Almost. Oh, it feels just like yesterday. Like we are at episode 199. <laughs> you should have been here. You should have been here when we were in the tubes, y'all. It's shitty behavior, and I have really had enough of billionaires treating their workers like shit. However that is, whether that's frontline retail employees or it's you know the teachers being asked to lead the charge into second lockdown because that's where we're headed y'all it's gonna be a fun week <sighs> anyway that was the one piece of news i found in the world billionaires being shitty not that that's really newsworthy but just yeah i've seen uh i've seen mick foley and you know mick i've seen mick foley and uh former Diesel, Kevin Nash, you may know him from Magic Mike, actually, or The Punisher. Um, oh, I, well, I know Mick Foley. Great. Uh, I don't know that other thing, and Ma- like Magic Mike the movie? Yeah, Kevin Nash, re- former wrestler Kevin Nash, played the uh, played the big guy with the bad knees in I, Magic Mike. I, I, didn't, I didn't see Magic Mike. Wow. Wow. Putting that one away for later. No, 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 please. I don't. Oh, that's like, oh, no. Kate? It's like my worst nightmare. Kate? Despite all the, like, sexualization of the male body, which, I mean, cheers, it's legit one of the best um, critics of capitalism I've ever seen. Oh. OG Magic Mike is a great fucking movie. Like, there's a reason Soderbergh made this movie. And it wasn't just to be, like, Channing Tatum spread your butt cheeks. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all, I'm on fire today. I feel good about this episode. (laughs) (laughs) 
I just like sitting back because you're on a roll, and I'm just like sipping my tea, <laughs> trying to figure out Old Mall. I did figure out which the name of the Old Mall. What is the Old Mall? Um, Kate was very concerned about remembering what the Old Mall that she summons in her mind's eye whenever she talks about the conceptual Old e- Mall. It's Eglinton Town Center, or no, Eglinton Square. Eglinton Square. That's Egl- what it is. Where's it's Eglinton not, Square? I think it's oh, not that- Eglinton Town Center. That's the one you can see from the subway line, right? Eglinton Square? It's got a Canadian Tire in I, it? I don't think so. I'm pretty sure I had to take a bus to get to it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. it's not, it's not like, it's a, it's a hoof from the streetcar, or from the subway, but I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure you can see it. Oh. Which the, subway station? Like Lawrence West, or Eglinton <sighs> West, or one of those. Oh, I think so. Anyways, I'm, now I'm, I'm looking it up on a map because now I'm like regional. Anyways, it's just it's like that thing where it's like one story, and there's been all these different attachments. And yeah, I w- I was really worried because I couldn't. I kept on being like malls in Scarborough, and of course it gives me Scarborough Town Center. Yeah, regional talk seriously. Oh, it's in At Scarborough. Point, like really regional. Yeah. Oh, it's in Scarborough. Oh yeah, Eglinton Mall is in Scarborough. Oh, no, it's in Scarborough. It's definitely not the one I'm thinking of then. Yeah, well, that's why I was like, what? Yeah, no. It's it's Eglinton and Victoria Park, which is like Scarborough. Ew. Guy. Yo, guy. Ew. That's it. That's that, that Chinese fellow, yeah. <laughs> please, please do not bring your attempt at Scarborough Patois to. What? I, hey, I grew up with uh, some of the Scarborough did, kids, all right? You did Yo grow guy. up very, very east side. So. But are you stupid? Are you dumb? I did. East side. Um, <laughs> and there's like a Toronto public library branch in Eglinton Square Mall for all the old people. Oh, no. Like, that's how old people mall it is. And, like, there's names of things you've never heard. Fusion Asian Takeout, Ruby's Mediterranean Cuisine. Yeah. Oh, I just love even looking at it. It makes me so happy. Gentleman's Quest Clothing Store. Gentleman's The Rug Palace. Gentleman's Quest? Yep. Is it your is it your quest to get into the Rug Palace? Possibly. I mean, it's right beside, though, so not much of a quest. Uh, like, it's so old that there's, like, that place that they do, like, walking on a cloud. And then also a hearing solutions. Like, because they know their demographic. Oh, uh, sorry. One, one last bit of wrestling news is I was scrolling the site that I was on for that original story. Uh, yeah, I said AJ Styles had a Twitch stream that he recently confirmed on that he tested positive for COVID-19. So, I mean, hey. Oh, see, it's informative and a means of uh, creating some cash flow. Styles went on to say he only had minor headaches and a stuffy nose while having the the virus. He also noted he never had a fever. So, who knows? Who knows? Maybe I've had it. I've been tested for it. Have you? I haven't yet. I was surprised yeah. they were doing I was a uh, well, more more COVID, more COVID chat. A lot of COVID chat this week, but we're all prepping for second wave. Um <laughs> I had heard before that Uniqlo's masks are very, like, well, it's a mask. It's Dece, right? Like, it's, it's a decent mask. Um, utilizing some of the proprietary technology of the Japanese clothing manufacturer to, like, wick away moisture and things like that. I just heard they were good. And all this is to say, you know, they're, they were supposed to release on September 3rd. Online, they're shipping end of the month. I was actually thinking of sending some to my parents, to be honest. Um... And apparently they were going to be in store and, you know, it's in, in the mall that I work in, there's a Uniqlo and I was, um, considering stopping in 
Uh, but I didn't see any like marketing. You think they would have been pushing them like in the front f- front facing marketing, right? If they had them in stock, and I didn't see anything like that, so I kind of like paused in the hallway and tried to look at things. But they were giving straight up temperature checks at the door, which is the first time I'd seen oh. that at, at a retail spot. Like, yeah, like I've seen you know obviously flow management and lineups and you know hit the hand sanding when you come in and you come out type of thing and maintain your distance but straight up temperature checks like i've only had that at the dentist office like also great great time for you know thermometer gun manufacturers they really they really killed it winter winners pandemic winners imagine investing in that and have your family be like that's ridiculous and now you gotta be like stuck it you just roll up in a fur coat, stepping out of a solid gold Rolls Royce. <laughs> you uh, thought I was stupid. Uh, updates. Updates. Um, so, lots of TV. Mm-hmm. Well, not lots, but um, continuation of watching Lower Decks. Great. Same. Uh, continued. Sorry? Same. Same. Um, continue watching a, cu- a couple episodes of Nadia's Time to Eat. Um, can, uh, Lovecraft Country. Have not seen third episode uh, yet. Oh, oh, I can't talk about it. I couldn't. I couldn't. It's interesting. I couldn't commit to that hour, but ended up having uh, all the time to commit for another hour-long show, which I'll get to <laughs> momentarily. And I was surprised. And I noted it when I was like. When I watched an episode and it was like, it flew by and I was like, oh, this must be shorter than the first one. And it was the exact same time. And I was like, oh, interesting. Oh, interesting. V.S. Lovecraft um, Country. Uh, I'm just going to say, like, departure for, from what they had been doing, kind of still interwoven in the story. Um, but anyways. What I had seen on social media, and I mean, obviously, as established, I follow Journey Smollett <laughs> on Instagram now. So, I mean, she was making posts. And it seemed like a different yeah. environment and less road trippy. And also, I didn't know the book was, like, based on inter- based on interconnected short stories. So, that probably will yeah. um, lead to a sort of episodic slash through line uh, narrative structure. But still as good as the first two, you're saying? Um, uh, I don't know. Um, they had some really great moments. Um, it was scarier for me mm-hmm. than the first two. So that's hard for me. Cause I get, you know, like it's tension. One of those things. I know, I know like it's tension. the music that sends me into a panic. Like right. I know about horror movie music. Um, but it still was very like freaky. Um, there were moments where I was like, Oh no, <laughs> like that would not be happening if I was there. Um, but interesting things with the story, um, really some really great scenes. Uh, the uh, cin- cinematography is really good, um, and I always forget to sort of mention that in talking about television shows. But this, like, it's noticeably like they frame some really amazing shots. Um, so that's cool. Uh, there's a moment that gets like a little Ghostbusters, which I like because they're not. I mean, they're taking it seriously, but not like... Someone gets a blowjob from a poltergeist? No. Um, Then uh, I watched... So I've been meaning to watch it for a while, and I've been it's been suggested to me for a lot, like for like from a bunch of different people. Uh, But I watched a bunch of episodes of Mindhunter. Okay. um, Which is... Oh, who's that director that I like that I was like recently and um 
he um, uh, let me, I'm going Girl, through it's David, David Fincher. Fincher. I just David said Fincher. that. <laughs> I yeah. literally said that. Yeah, David Fincher. Um, so as we know, I discovered that I like David Fincher. Yes. Um, which was a fun discovery. Um, and he is a producer and has directed a bunch of these episodes. Um, and the only my only problem with it is uh, in the beginning, there's a lot more emphasis on what they're doing, whereas in later episodes, and I don't know if this is how it is in second and third season, um, there it's a lot more orient, not a lot more, but there is definitely a focus on like the their personal lives, mm. and I'm like, I don't care, <laughs> like fuck off, I want to talk to the murderers, like. Um, but it's just it is also very interesting watching. I mean, if you, they re- if you missed Mindhunter, like Kate said, this is a Netflix show spearheaded by. David Fincher, when it dropped, I watched a few episodes. It may have come up on the show at the time. Um, it's basically about the origins of forensic psychology and just, yeah. you know, yeah. the push and pull, especially in the first season of, like, the small group of people in law enforcement at a local and federal level who are, like, if we can understand why these people do these things. We can create a profile. Yes, we can profile Which it. Means- and local law enforcement was kind of like, I don't give a shit yeah. why he does it. He's just scum and... You know, making it a more proactive versus a reactive, I guess, form of of law enforcement and crime prevention. For and even like there's the thing where the main guy like he goes to talk to a to a school about it, um, and like these young kids, it's actually pretty funny because um, they're trying to figure out like how do we, like you say, be more proactive. And just that after like I I watched. Um, Criminal Minds for a while. Mm. It's not. It's like a trash fire of a show. But <laughs> they had some interesting, some interesting insights when talking about the unsub, and just even coming up with terms like the main guy is talking about. He's going to call them. Um, he doesn't say sequential. He wants to call them sequential killers, and and you're <laughs> like, ah, oh, that's amazing, <laughs> as opposed to serial killers, um, because that just all hadn't been created yet, right? right? Um, the, them discovering about a lot of um, serial killers um, have issues with their uh, parents, specifically mothers, like right. just coming up with and discovering all these little bits of information and seeing how it can be used is fascinating for me. Um, yeah. And, and just even the idea of like they'll, they've, the characters themselves are so layered and nuanced. Like, um, the main guy, oh, it's played by Groff. Oh, not Darren. Jonathan Groff, right. Jonathan Groff. Um, and then uh, the other guy, Bill, who's the other investigator, he has been so surprising because you think he's just going to be this foil who's maybe not as smart, but he has some amazing moments. Um, and anyways, we got to, like, seven episodes in um and then we were watching it and i was just like okay i can't take it anymore i was like too much murder <laughs> like i was like i need a break too much murder from... it happened yeah, I know. it I happened like, y'all i was like but it's because it's so psychology heavy and it was actually the stuff with his family that i was like or families or relationship stuff that was really what i was like oh i can't like kate prefers not, not kate no. prefers the more whimsical murder of jessica fletcher <laughs> 
Um, no, I'm fine with heavy murder as long as they're just talking about the murder. Hmm. I just don't like the... I mean, I know why they do this, this balance of talking about the murder and the psychology and everything with sort of like their personal lives. Um, it's an important aspect, right? The toll it takes, how it affects you, how it affects your relationships. I think that's all very interesting. I'm just not as interested. Um, so, yeah. Anyways, it was very good. And if you're interested in murder like I am, then you should watch it. And to balance that all out, mm. um, so <laughs> – Senior correspondent and I have decided, um, as we prepare for the lockdown, that the only way to get through it is to watch probably terrible movies, seeing if we can find any hidden gem- not, gems. And not, along a ba- those lines, not a bad strategy. We have decided to watch a bunch of sword and sandal films. What? Uh, because I really like Conan the Barbarian. Oh, right, right, and right. Conan the Destroyer. Sword and like, sandals. They're actually that's what they're called. I've never heard that before. Um, oh, yeah. That's like a really common – God, Jordan, do you know? It's a really common thing. <laughs> no, sorry. Um, that was my mean girl coming up. Uh, so this week um, we had ventured um, into the realm of Red Sonja. Um, Gail Simone loves terrible, Red Sonja. <laughs> Who loves Red Sonja? Gail Simone. She like wrote the Red Sonja comic for a long time. Well, oh, yeah, the the yeah, and and it's funny because we were going through some like Red Sonja information afterwards, trying to find like the origins and all of that, and then I saw a bunch of like comic, um, like different comic uh, covers, mm. and I was like, oh yeah, that I can tell which ones are Gail Simone, because <laughs> <laughs> there's some that are like so gross. And I'm just like, ew, I just feel dirty looking at these. Um, and then there are some that are that are just funny and, and really good. And for those of you who don't know, Red Sonja is like, she is where, like, the bikini and sword come from. Like, <laughs> like, and it's like a weird chain male bikini <laughs> slash, uh, like, scale male bikini. Thanks for Zeta. Um, and, and sword, yeah. Um, but anyway, so it terrible film. There were weirdly good parts of it. Um, there's also the main villain who played Valyria in Conan. And Arnold is also in Red Sonja. He plays another character. <laughs> okay. um, so the woman who plays Valyria in, in Conan, um, the barbarian, she plays the villain here, um, and is a lesbian. And, like, they don't – it's not this, like, huge big deal <laughs> – um, and I was kind of like, that's cool. It's this weirdly feminist film, but was like made at a weird time in the eighties. Um, anyways, it's, it, I, f- I find like if you have some time and you just want to like watch a movie that you can be on your phone with Red Sonja's the movie, um, we are going to venture to watch Lady Hawk sometime this week. Oh my. She's a classic. I haven't seen Lady Hawk in a long time since high school. Um, so yeah, if you have any suggestions, we're trying to just do things from the eighties because, um, if you go back further, like 70s, 60s, 50s, there's just so many, there's so many that came out of Italy. Um, just let us know anything from the eighties that you really enjoyed sword and sandal wise. Uh, please, please give me a shout on any form of communication. Send, send, send an elf. Send a bird. Send an elf. Oh, my God. 
send an owl. My God. <laughs> it's, it's right there. Send a hawk. Yeah. Huh. Um, yeah. So that's, that is what I watched this week. All right. Well, keeping it moving. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I do want to shout out that I've officially hit a point in Waifu World 3, a.k.a. Love Life School Idol Festival All-Stars. What a, t- what a title. Oh this game was always purported as not being a straight-ahead rhythm game, and it had more to do with team building and, you know, that sort of management. And I've officially hit the point where hitting auto-formation does not get me the results that I want, so I have been forced to wade into, like, the actual game mechanic of this game, and it is so fucking deep and frustrating for a game that is just about tappy tapping. Yep. <laughs> because each card has an attribute and, you know, card might be good at one thing and suck at another thing. And you need to balance the three, you know, there's like stamina, how much, bon- how many bonus points you get and the amount of points you get per tap. And then everyone that's good at one thing will be shitty at the others. So you got to balance them out and certain songs will get bonuses for certain types and there are attributes and accessories and shit that boost stats and yeah. So complicated. So complicated. But I did. She's only available <laughs> in recurring gacha pulls. And the more it goes on, the more they add to the pool. So the pool gets, you know, deeper and the rarity gets scarcer. But I got my best rainbow girl on the last pull. And she's apparently very good. Although I, according to the meta, but I don't know how to use her well yet. So. <laughs> You look great, Karen, but I don't know how to use you in a formation yet. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that that game has been, it's honestly the one I sp- have been spending the most time with because it's not just a quick bang out, like bang dream, where it's just like tappy tap tap for 15 minutes and you're done. This is like, okay, well, okay, so this, this song is going to give a bonus to SP types, so center your formation around those. But if I do all that, then I'm not going to be able to clear the song. Because they won't have a high enough stamina. Oh my god. Yeah. It's like that, y'all. Also staying up on Decadence. Obviously, I've only been able to watch. I'm officially like week to week, but a week behind now. Everyone else has been. I got real excited because I don't know when Decadence drops. And I tried to watch episode 9. It was like, watch the latest episode. I'm like, yes. It's like, this is for premium subscribers only. And I went, no. (laughs) Damn it. But I didn't pirate it. I did not pirate it. Go me. What a cool guy you are. I will wait. One thing I did watch that I will probably not return to free or paid or pirated is I don't know what possessed me. I just know I've seen the character around floating around and I was like, well, fine, let's see. And one episode was clearly enough of Uzaki-chan wants to hang out. (laughs) Okay. This is a show about a dude who just wants to be left alone and he's gone to college and he apparently was very like outgoing in high school and now he's in college and he just wants to chill out and not do much. And his former co-high on the swim team has gone to the same college and is excited to see him, but thinks he's different and wants to bring him out of his shell. So now it's just him perpetually being annoyed by a very buxom, obviously, uh, 19-year-old girl. And the show does say she's 19 years old, but draws her very short and with short tomboyish hair and with a high-pitched voice. And you can well actually me all you want. (laughs) Or (laughs) there have actually been tweets about, like, her proportions are fine. (laughs) Come on. Eat dicks. Eat dicks, fanboys. <sighs> you know that there is a pedophilia problem in Japan? <laughs> I mean, Do we know this? listen, you can draw titties as big as you want if the show is good. Kate and I infamously have differing opinions on Kill la Kill. I greatly enjoy Kill la Kill while finding it problematic. But I mean, there was a show there. There was a concept. It was insane, but it was a concept. 
This show is literally bouncy, bouncy. That's it. That's the show. Bouncy, bouncy. And I mean, it's a slice of life. And I, I've liked other slice of life shows that had, you know, I just realized the other day, I just remembered Hattori Bochi the other day and was like so delighted and almost want to go back and rewatch it because I loved that show so much. That's a slice of life where nothing happens, but it doesn't have fucking bouncy, bouncy, like bouncy, bouncy. That's the whole point of the show. Boy, 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 boy. that's it. <laughs> Good on you if that's your thing, but don't try and argue to me that's high art because it ain't. Just accept your trash. Don't be proud about your trash. If you're that type of trash, I'm going to say that. Manage your trash endorsement levels. But, like, just realize, you are not, you know. High art? Yeah. Usaki-chan wants to hang out. Isn't man- is Mindhunter. Let's not, <laughs> let's not put those two together. Um, still reading Coin Locker Babies. Again, it's just wild. And the, like I said last week, and also prompted my, uh, you know, depression, get over your own perfectionism type thing. Ryu Murakami did not care. He just wrote shit down. Whether he should have or not, it just went from that boy's brain to the page. So I'm gonna try to be more like him. Maybe not write the things that he writes, but just write something. Take that philosophy, and then that kind of moves on to. I respect what Ryu Murakami does, even if I don't agree with all his decisions. The sheer, I don't give a fucks about it. Right. I almost respect. And there's another Japanese artist who I've had that sort of opinion about dating years back. And I will get to who it is in a moment. But first, I have to tell you, Kate, and the listeners, that we are about to get to what is possibly the most Jordan thing I have ever brought to this show. Yeah. And this happened when my Google News feed randomly gave me an article from Comic Book Resources, which, I mean, shots at Comic Book Resources used to be a decent site, and now you're just a garbage content farm. And this article is garbage, but it did have a title that caught my eye, and it said, How Sailor Moon's live-action remake brought the series full circle. And at first I was like, they made another Sailor Moon live-action? No, they didn't. This is an old one from the 90s, which we are going to watch for Crapathon this year. I've already seen I've already seen some of it and meant to give it to you a long-ass time ago, but, like, we need to make an event out of this. And basically the article is just saying that, like, Sailor Moon, the anime, was inspired by the, what are they called? Tokusatsu shows. Which basically just means anything made with science, with special effects. So that could be, you know, Godzilla and Kaiju movies, or it could be, you know, Mass Rider, uh, Power Rangers type shows. Sailor Moon was more riffing on the Power Rangers, Mass Rider type of thing. Right. Um, those shows were live action. Sailor Moon was an anime inspired by those shows. And then they made, you know, a live action version of Sailor Moon, which is basically just doing those type of shows in the first place. That's the, that's the great, you know, galaxy brain argument of, of this article. <laughs> Well, good for you. Good for you, Anthony Graham Gulia, but you probably, you know, got 25 bucks for that article. And I haven't gotten anything for writing in like three years. So shouts to, shouts to you. Wow. Like... I'm, on three, I'm on three of four coffees, y'all. It's just it's going to keep up like this for the rest of the episode. <laughs> Sorry. It's not going so fast. I'm trying to keep up. Um, but there was, a, there was a point in this article where... It said, quote, the genre is now experiencing a resurgence with shows like the Girls X Heroine series. This magical girl, Tokusatsu series, created by Takashi Miike. What? Now, this is a name that has come up before. Longtime listeners may think that's familiar. Takashi Miike is the director of such works as Gozu and Visitor Q and Ichi the Killer and Audition. 
also known as the only thing Caitlin McKinnon has refused to watch on this show. Takashi Miike was a guy who I was really into in the early aughts for, again, just being, oh my god, you put that on film. (laughs) He has made gory movies, insane movies about necrophilia, movies about incest. So basically the idea that a guy who made a movie where a guy cuts out his own tongue or gets tempura oil poured on his back while he's hanging from meat hooks would then make a magical girl show? I had to see this. So I have watched two episodes, and I will not stay with it because it is very good at what it is, which is a show for little girls called, uh, what the hell is it called? Idol Warriors Magic Tunes or something like that. And it is basically Sailor Moon. It's Monster of the Week. It's you, you'll get some detail. Idol Warriors Miracle Tunes, that's what it's called, not Magical Tunes. And they have a little thing that they click into an iPod, and the actresses are like 12-year-old girls, and it's very, like, candy-colored, and they just are dancing with an intensity that only 12-year-old girls can dance with. <laughs> like, oh my god, you are just so, like, that elbow pop was just like, <laughs> like you know, really aggressive J-pop dancing? Like, that's what this is. And the transformation sequences, like, you expect me to believe that a monster stood there and watched you do this, like, 15-minute <laughs> transformation sequence? <laughs> With your wand and the makeup across your face. It is live-action Sailor Moon done better than the live-action Sailor Moon. And just the idea that Takashi Miike has spent, like, the last five years of his life making a magical girl show for little for little girls. Maybe he's trying to pay us back for all the horror he's given and us. I mean, I knew he had already done this before. I knew he had a kid's movie called The Great Yokai War. That kind of, he's, he's, like, the pinnacle of journeyman director he puts out like you know a movie a year sometimes straight to video sometimes theatrical he did blade of the immortal he did the tokyo no he didn't do tokyo tribes but he did do blade of the immortal he did sukiyaki seven you know he does these kind of like grindhouse movies but then he has also done family friendly fair he had a weird like superhero take once called zebra man um (laughs) and now yeah he's just like team Mike. his production studio is like i mean a check's a check it's the pinnacle of a check's a check and he puts just as much effort into the show for little girls than he does the, the grindhouse, you know, people getting cut lengthwise in half type movies. And that's wild to me. Like, even down to, like, you know, the trio of henchmen who are all, you know, comically inept. You know, you, you saw that on Power Rangers. Like, these are all, like, the tropes we are working in. It does not deviate from those tropes at all. But, oh my god, I'm just baffled that this exists and that it came from this person and i'm not going to watch another frame of it because i don't need to i know there's like 50 episodes subbed on youtube so shouts to that crew who thought they needed to fan sub and throw this on on the internet i appreciate you as i always appreciate fan sub troops but man it's not even funny it's not even like ironically funny like it's it's the four eight-year-olds like and if I had an eight-year-old girl, delightful. <laughs> but I just, like, wrapping my head around the fact that the same brain put both these things out into the world. Like, madness to me. Speaking of gore, Kate. Yeah. Did you not watch The Boys yet? No. Well, The Boys is back. I know. And it's still good. Okay, good. <laughs> There's been a lot. Things going on. There have been a lot of things. Frankly, I forgot that season two had even dropped until Mr. Malosh was like, I'd really like to get to the boys this weekend. And I was like, oh, right, that started. Um, Mercifully. Hey, look, I'm sorry. We're going to be locked down for a while in the winter. Like, I got to save some stuff up. You'll have time. 
Uh, mercifully, also, they dropped the first three, and they're going week to week on this. So, oh. so you can binge the first three, and then it's going to be every week for the remainder, the, last, the next five. So, The Boys, if you were unfamiliar, I don't know how anybody of this show would be, would be unfamiliar with The Boys, but it was based on a uh, Garth Ennis, Derek Robertson book from a while back, basically about a crew of, of mercs who uh, want to take down all the superheroes in their world. And because superheroes suck, and superheroes mean. suck, and it's a very much a take on like if super, you know, the if Watchmen was like, what would the world be like if superheroes existed in you know nineteen eighty five, like or eighty six or whatever? The Boys is very much what would it be like if superheroes were around in twenty twenty? Like episode one or two, I don't remember. Basically, has it doesn't spend a whole lot of time on it, and I mean, it's really it's. For anybody who doesn't ever have to do this, it's not going to be like, oh man, poor them. But like, if you ever had to do a press junket in your life, you know, you watch Starlight and the new girl Stormfront on a press junket. Yeah. Because they're trying to market, like, they have three girls now <laughs> on, on the seven, right. which is this show's Justice League. And it's like, you start, before they announce who the new girl is, it's Starlight going like, girls do it better. Who's going to be the new member of the seven? You'll find out tonight at 11. WKXP, cut WEDF, cut W, like she's just like doing the local news spots. That's what life would be like. You know, when Stormfront shows up, she's on IG Live making fun of the commercial they're shooting because they're trying to, and have gotten into uh, national defense, which was Homelander, a.k.a. Superman's, you know, that was the move he was trying to make was to get them into. uh, Well, no, it was the big guy. Giancarlo Esposito, was it him? Yeah, well, like were, that was their plan. They were get them into they were fighting in one episode, so I so I forgot. Um, also, like this is a show where like find a better recap than the one they give you at the front of the first episode because you will forget a lot. Um, and I mentioned earlier that we were going to talk about cameos. If Kate hasn't seen it, I'm not going to bring it up. But Patton Oswalt has maybe the best cameo of his career. <laughs> Okay. In, good the, in episode two. Um, only seen the first two episodes. Heads exploding. Arms get chopped off. It's just as... Fun as the last just, season? Just as fun as the last season. Well. Excellent. That is all I got into. Didn't have a whole lot of time this week. Because, um, again, these shows are like a solid hour long. So we're going to take a pause right here. And when we come back, we will get into the, in true geek down fashion, very dissimilar items... <laughs> Whoa. I don't think it's dissimilar. You don't think they're dissimilar? No. All right. Well, we'll get into that when we come back from this break. where we talk about the things we brought each other. But before we get into that, there are some rules. Boy, are there. to be exact. Yep. The first rule is the rule of three. That is the rule that we will watch three episodes, parts, whatever, to try and get a sense of what the thing is trying to become. Just give it a chance. Yeah. And it definitely applies this week. So, I mean, I gave Jordan specific episodes. (laughs) Yes. But we'll get into that. 
Um, the second rule is hashtag save it for the pod. That is the rule that we will not talk about these, these things to each other before we are sitting in front of these microphones. Sometimes we don't even know. We don't even know if the other person watched it. I legitimately no. forgot what I had given Caitlin and then was like, man, I hope she found it. <laughs> I'm assuming she did. I, did. I did. Um, and the third rule, which really isn't the rule, it's more of a policy, is that there will be spoilers. Meh. Yar, there be spoilers. Um, and in uh, Geek Down fashion, very meant very kindly, but also, you know, harshly. Uh, if you care about spoilers, um, which it it's sort of hard to spoil these two things, but if you care about spoilers, you don't want to know, please get the fuck out. Bye. Go listen to another podcast, come back. Um, just go right to the end, because usually there's a fun bit at the end. Um, and, you know, grab yourself some lunch, a tea, go watch the boys. Go watch there's the boys. just so many things you can do besides complaining that they're spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we like, there we are. We like to alternate. So this week we are going to start with the thing that Caitlin gave me. Something she got yeah. very offended by when I was like, that seems like a, how did, how did I phrase it? You said that was that seems like was, a weird selection. This is an odd selection, and Caitlin replied yeah. by screaming, "You're an odd selection!" And I said, "Okay." <laughs> uh, good times. Um, so one of the reasons I chose it was because I found it really fascinating, and another reason is because uh, do you know what time it is? Time of the year it is, Jordan. I I, I dread I dread to ask. What time is it, Kate? It's cinematic September! Woo! I really wanted an air horn for this bit. <laughs> uh, cinematic September. So, for those of you who remember last year, I was really, I really wanted, because we have, we have Opportune June, and we have August Watcherama, and, um... November Crapathon. There's November Crapathon. Um, Dry July. I really wanted something for September. And Jordan does not recall this, but I was like, I was like, like absolutely just uh, totally obsessed with finding a name for September. And I came up with Cinematic September and he just shat on it the whole month. He was so unhappy. So I was like, okay, this, this month I'm not going to do that because he was so unhappy with it. And we're friends. I don't always want to make him unhappy only when it makes <laughs> me laugh. Um, and it wasn't funny because he was very, very upset about it. Um, Again, so he zero recollection of that. Does not remember. Feel it was more eye rolling than legitimate. More like there oh, were, was, fucking Caitlin with the also <laughs> that a lot of uhs and that I was like okay, all right, he's not having fun with it, or not as much fun as I was having. Ah. <laughs> so I was like okay, so I won't do it. Uh, we'll just do September as usual, and then. Uh, uh, friend of the show and also fan was like, but what about cinematic September? And I was like, it's your fucking face. <laughs> People love it. So uh, I decided. Remember that when not. you've got magic mic for next week. <laughs> hey, still cinematic in its own way. From what I hear, there are a lot of interesting shots. <laughs> you could tell us um, all about it. Yeah. Um, so I thought, why not do something about the making of a show we both really enjoyed um, that takes a lot of influences from things that we enjoy 
Um, and I just thought also just watching it was was really fascinating because there's a lot of uh, stuff about the changes in how things are made and produced. And we talk a lot on the show about, you know, um, this is like if there was a like this is the golden age of television, but it's like beyond that. It's mm. like the it's like the snorting crystals age of television. Like there's been so many advancements and right. changes and how we consume stuff. Anyways, the thing we're talking about is called Disney Gallery: The Mandalorian, uh, which is a Star Wars documentary series. It's streaming on Disney Plus. It's centered on making the making of the live action television series The Mandalorian. Um, it premiered on May fourth, twenty twenty, because you know May the fourth be with you. Um, alongside the the series finale of Star Wars: The Clone Wars um, and Disney's debut of Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. So they tied it all in. Um, and at first, the first episode, I was like, eh. and then as the episodes got on, I was like, oh, this is actually really, really interesting. Which is why I gave Jordan episodes. Four, five, and seven, I believe. Yes. Um, and they were ones that were the uh, fourth episode was called Technology, the fifth uh, Practical, which talks about practical effects, and the seventh was the Score. And we we you know jokingly <laughs> um, <laughs> argued about the about who is the best uh, uh, composer for scores, um, and so I thought this would be. This would be for Star Wars, and I thought this would be funny. Because full disclosure, friends, I had forgotten I'd forgotten to watch the third episode. I'd watched the first two she gave me, and then was like, okay, I'll get to them on this day. And then I was just so tired last night, I just crashed at 8 o'clock, because <laughs> I'm 42. Um, <laughs> and then I was like, at the last minute this morning, I was like, oh, shit. She wanted me to watch a third one. And at first I was like, I don't really have, there's really no time. We're going to have to push back the start time. If I watch this, what one do you want me to watch? And it was the, I thought it was the music one. And I was like, oh, well, I have to watch it. <laughs> yeah. So I've seen all three. Yes. Um, so, yeah, anyways, um, that is sort of the setup for it. Again, just thinking cinematically and just some interesting bits as well and fun bits. Um, so, yeah. So, Jordan, what did you think? I mean, odd selection because it seemed weird to me to, like, look at a making of Doc series for a show that we talked about you know like four months ago and also it's not the first time we've talked about like it's not the first time you've brought me like a making of documentary but like this isn't like lost in la mancha where we're dealing with like you know something that went horribly wrong this was something that went you know perfectly and was by all accounts generally a you know universally accepted success yeah um but i started that first episode about the technology and was like like because i just assumed that they were on sets yeah or that you know they shot on locate that they that they did shoot on location i mean it's fucking disney and star wars you just figure like they'll just go to the places but i could have done without the you know in studio <laughs> branding of the volume um but basically when i put together what they were talking about when i put together what they were talking about which is you know so the show was put together by john favreau who was kind of you know given this franchise because he had proven himself to be, you know, capable a capable hand by that point. He had done the Jungle Book. He had done the Lion King. Disney had faith in him. Um, and he kind of recounts the things they had done in those movies that led them to that point. And this is what was really fascinating for me 
when they basically mention bringing in video game technology. Where now you can, mm-hmm. like, manipulate a camera in a virtual environment and have the environment rendered in real time in a way that you couldn't before. And that's a big, like, convoluted way of saying that now, like, you don't have to shoot on location, basically. You can build, the technology has come so far and is cheap enough, relatively speaking, that you can, you know, build a virtual environment and put real people into it. And the way they did this was just by basically making, like, an open dome LED screen. Yeah. That it wasn't a projection, it was, like, displayed on this screen. So that's how you got lighting reflections on his very shiny armor and all the things that would make you think they are literally outside doing all these things that give you the lighting effects, that give you the shadows, because it's all broadcasting off of this, you know, giant screen that's, like, you know, the size of a warehouse that they built and they even allude to the fact that like, and you know, maybe it's just like, you know, nodding to the King or this is, you know, legitimately what it was, but they made, they make a comment how like, you know, when Lucas was working on the prequels, you know, he had green screen available to him. And that's why, you know, the prequel movies look so kind of artificial yeah, because the technology wasn't, hadn't caught up to his vision yet. And he kind of had said at the time, you know, like, you know, 20 years from now, we'll be making movies like this in our garages, like, which is essentially what they did using this combination of like video game engines and these LED screens. And, you know, it's what George wanted to, would have liked to have done with the prequels, but the technology hadn't caught up to him yet. When I realized that that's what they had done and they were talking about it and breaking down how it worked, um, sidebar, I had never seen Dave Filoni in person before this documentary. Oh, really? Why the cowboy hat? <laughs> I, just, I, I think it's just this weird nerd thing that <laughs> makes him comfortable. I'm he's just, always, every time I've seen him, he's, he has a cowboy hat on. I've never seen Dave Filoni with a cowboy hat. Distressful of anybody who wears a cowboy hat just as, you know, a signature accessory. <laughs> That's what I mean. It's very, it's very nerd Hollywood. Like, I feel like him and Tom Savini probably have a, like, a, just a killer hat collection. Between the two of them, <laughs> it's like top hats and goggles honestly, and cowboy I've hats. Only, I've only seen the, yeah, he, yeah, he actually he does. Sorry, I th- thought I'd only ever seen him in the black cowboy hat, but he does. He actually has a bunch of cowboy <laughs> it's hats. It's a variety. Um, also, I did not realize at the time. I mean, I knew, but I did not know how, like, entrenched Filoni was in this show. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've never seen the Clone Wars. I've never really engaged with the animated version of Star Wars nearly as much as Kate has. Kate has seen you pretty much all of it, right? Like, uh, yeah. The only thing I haven't seen is after Rebels, there was a show called Resistance, I believe. Right. And uh, senior correspondent and I tried like the first episode, but it seemed way kiddier mm. than this than the other stuff. Right. <clears throat> like, like very, very um, young. It could just be that first, second episode issue All right. so we might try it again sometime but yeah but like you know he obviously has years of bona fides you know crafting episodic shorter episodic star wars narratives and i don't know maybe the other episodes will break down more of what his role is i just kind of know that from hearing podcasts and reading articles about the show i'm sure other episodes about the pre-production of the mandalorian will break down you know what his role was so just seeing him um, like can... he's there right next to favreau for everything Literally everything. Mm-hmm. He's not like some, like, you know, he worked in the writer's room or he directed a couple episodes. No, he's side by side. He was Favreau's go-to on this, like, entire entire thing. And 
knows his shit. Like I said to Kate when I was letting her know that I might be a little late starting today, like I had to watch that third episode because he just, they're talking about, they're basically talking about Favreau broaches the idea about as much as, you know, basically fanboys might argue about what's good or bad about Star Wars, like no one has ever critiqued the music ever or the score. Yeah. No one's got a bad thing to say about that. So they knew how important the music is to the Star Wars universe. Which then led Filoni to kind of like go on this sort of, just a quick little riff about how, you know, how this music was going to affect the kids, because Star Wars is for kids, always has been. <laughs> he just kind of like throws that in yeah. there. And how like, you know, yeah. if we're not keeping that at the center, we're just giving ourselves what we want and that's not going to work. And he just like low-key casually, it's not even really the point of the conversation, but he just like throws a like... It's just like a grenade at every, like, fanboy argument about Star Wars, and he just, like, casually lobs it out there. So, I mean, shouts to him. Um, uh, The second episode, like Kate said, was about the practical effects. So, I mean, it was awesome because, and this is really my takeaway of watching this as a whole, like, I think a lot, mostly in regards to music, but I think a lot about the staying power of things anymore and just how fast the content mill grinds things up and spits them out anymore like whether it's the binge mode of consumption or like i said i think a lot about music and you don't have albums anymore and you constantly have to trickle out lucy's throughout the summer to stay relevant and you know three years ago everybody was talking about bobby schmurda and the hot boy dance and now who remembers that like and so if you if you want to tell me that ybn corday or Lil uzi vert is the hottest thing going like will we care in five years like i think about that a lot and what has staying power and what won't um but the second I saw him again, you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> the, I know who you're talking about. The second you see him again, you remember where you were the first time you saw him. <laughs> and just how, like, shattering in the best way that was at that moment yeah. when you watched that show for the first time. And that fucking blanket came down and his little hand reached up. <laughs> and you were like, oh my fucking God. <laughs> what is that and we lost our minds and we always will and seeing him again was just like yeah he's like the greatest thing that he's the greatest thing in the last like five years that baby yoda is the greatest thing in the last five years period of anything like and discussing it had it had an anecdote that i'd heard about and i think may have been mentioned in an article but it was nice to see uh deborah chow again shouts to deborah chow we stand a legend i'm i was delighted that it was her telling the story about how enamored Werner Herzog was with the puppet. <laughs> yeah. And just everything with the puppet. And, you know, Bryce Dallas Howard talking about how, like, you'll just, like, chat with the puppet. And the puppeteers will engage with you, like, in between takes. Like. Yeah. Um, and the sheer amount of. And, that, and, and the, the idea that people forget. you Your brain. And we will get the, get to this on the thing we're going to mm. talk about <laughs> that a, you brought. It's a very, but that very idea puppet that episode. Well, it's like that idea where in animation, your brain fills in the jumps, Mm. like the visual gap. Your brain fills in like this emotional gap because the puppeteering is really engaging and it's just like a Muppet or a Sesame Street character, right? Like as a kid, you know somewhere in the back rattling around that's a puppet. It's not a real thing, but... 
emotionally and even at the front of your brain, you're, you engage with that character as a living, breathing thing. Um, and just when they were talking about, you know, people talking to the, the, the child, the baby Yoda, and forgetting that it was a, like a puppet off, off of camera. Right? Yeah, like in between takes. Um, yeah, like that it was just – that just really um, underscores how important it is to act or to in, – like uh, in, to um, work off of something that is physical. And um, this ties yeah. back to my favorite anecdote from the production of The Mandalorian where they were doing a scene – where Werner Herzog is like evaluating, you know, the cargo. It's, you know, in episode two when he's brought the baby and they were setting up, they you know, so they did the take with the puppet and then they were going to do, they call it the plate shot, but I think it's a, they, they were undecided about if it was going to be the puppet all the time or if they're going to like sweeten it with CGI or like, you know, they're basically doing a safe, they were going to do a safety shot in case they wanted to use CGI later. And Werner Herzog mm-hmm. like refused to do it. <laughs> it was like, yeah. don't, don't you don't give them the plate shot. Use the puppet, you cowards. He was like yelling at them. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Use the puppet. Like just like yelling at them. To not back uh, away from, you know, doing the practical effects. And I mean practical effects have always been a huge part of Star Wars. They, it's not just Baby Yoda. Obviously they know to spend a lot of time there. But there's also uh what the hell was his name? Quill? Quail? Quill? The Nick Nolte? Quill? Yes. Um Quill, yeah. I didn't know that there was like his race was in previous episode was in the no, movies. No, no, no. I, I knew that. Of course, you knew that. Uh, no, that there was this lady in there that was like doing this acting and having to try and right? like sync it up and. I don't know why I would have assumed that like you know seventy something Nick Nolte would have actually been in the suit. That makes no sense. He's an old man. No, no, no. <laughs> I didn't, wasn't thinking that, but I didn't know that like I didn't understand. I guess how the suit worked. Right. Um, specifically, I knew some of it was animatronic and like, I I just, I wasn't aware. And she had a really huge job. Like it was a really complicated job. She couldn't really hear in the suit. So she had to like, and she had to come up with like visual cues for the stuff that was already recorded. And Mm. that, that was also very, very cool and fascinating. And I mean, that's somebody who like, (laughs) It sounds bad because I've forgotten her name, but like her name's never going to be known. She she'll be known in the industry, and will like always have a job in on Lucasfilm probably. But like that's such yeah. a specific thing to do to be like you know the performer who wears you know four hundred servos on your head to like bring that character to life in that way. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, that was that was the that was the second episode, and yeah, as said, the third one was just uh, about the music, and like the music was all done by Ludwig Göransson, who I have known about. I'm not super familiar with his work, but I knew he was you know Donald Glover's chief, chief collaborator on most Childish Gambino projects, dating back to Camp, even I believe. And he did the music on Community. He did the music on Black Panther. Did not know he was Ryan Coogler's roommate. That makes sense about a lot yeah. of things. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just, I had said at the time when we were <laughs> animatedly disagreeing <laughs> over the uh, the role that Ludwig's score for The Mandalorian was going to have on that generation of Star Wars. I don't think I was ever espousing that, like, he was better. I think I was just saying that his shit was going to be as iconic 
for a generation. Because the second he busts out a recorder, the style of which I did not know they made recorders like that. Oh, see, see, this is weird because my grandmother was a recorder teacher. So she had like a whole range of recorders and like tons of bass recorders. Yeah, that weird, is that what it's called? A bass one? Yeah, because it looks like a bassoon. It's It's got a, it's got like a 90 degree angle on it. And again, Um, I love how like, this is a great thing about like music and the creation of it. And I'm more of an appreciator than, uh, you know, someone who does it themselves. But when he is like showing off the recorder, you can tell he probably just came up with that phrase dicking around. He was just checking the sounds. Like it's three notes, Mm -hmm. right? It was like, he's just tapping one finger. He was probably just dicking around, but Mm -hmm. that sound in that rhythm sparked something and off he was. And that's that, that the second I heard that again was like, Oh, it's like seeing baby Yoda again, like hearing that music and the, the audio, the oral world he created for it. And really this whole thing, just reminded me of like <laughs> how young the world was. No, like <laughs> when that show come out in September before the world exploded. Um, so on the one hand, it is a reminder of like before the world exploded, but also just how good that show was and how much I liked being in that version of star Wars. Everybody, you listen to this show more than three episodes, you know, my, complicated ambivalence not even really complicated ambivalence towards star wars but like (laughs) i don't fucks with star wars like that um but just having this version of star wars be the first version and not just for baby yoda baby yoda is obviously a big part of it but like i liked the music i liked that it wasn't so like the force isn't even mentioned like none of that shit's baby yoda uses it like two or three times but like the force isn't even mentioned. There's no pseudo scientific talk. There's no lightsabers aside from the end, which set the fanboys ablaze. <laughs> Thank you, Filoni. Um, but like this version, this low key, you know, Gotham central version of, of star Wars. Like I was really into, and I liked being in that world and seeing people talking about, you know, this version of star Wars and how they put it together really just kind of highlighted again of like how night, how much I enjoyed being in that world and how much I will look forward to being in that world again. You know, like it's, I can't really give this a punch kick rating or I don't feel like I can, like it's, it's, I enjoyed it and I enjoyed learning more about the show, but it's not like a narrative in and of itself. It's very educational. The spot, the stuff about the volume, (laughs) I keep doing that because that's what they keep calling it obviously branded the volume that stuff was all very interesting obviously anytime you see baby yoda again your world is immediately better and yeah uh, ludwig is dope as well and his fucking like synthesizer bank that he had at one point which i think is when he was doing the music for the prison break sequence yeah um, that which is so cool because it's curved up yes he's just got like old school analog synths that basically, you know, are just processing a signal. So it's like, you know, a million chords running from one bank to another and knobs and dials and shits like that is wild. And obviously he's got a fair bit of money. So he, he has just tons of these as well as, you know, taking things I thought I knew, like I thought, you know, an, an Ebo is a thing that we used to use back in the band days that basically just makes a string vibrate. It just sends out like a little signal. will make a string vibrate. So you mm-hmm. get like a bow effect on a guitar without actually running a bow across it. I thought that's what he used for 
some of those sounds, but no, he's fucking got, you know, Childish Gambino money. He's got, he's got Black Panther money, so he you know, goes and finds some 1970s rolling guitar synthesizer that I've never even like, heard of before. <laughs> he's like, no, he, no, I ran it through that. <laughs> it's like, of course you did. Um, and seeing the first moments where, like, you know, you forget that he writes these things in a room by himself on a piano and a guitar and then scores them out and brings them to, like, you know, a symphony. <laughs> yeah. Who then, you know, orchestrate, who then orchestrates the whole thing and watching, you know, that first time. Even they had footage of the first time, you know, Favreau heard the, like, like he had it, like, on his phone. <laughs> Just, like, that yeah. phrase on the on the recorder. You get to see them hearing that for the first time. Like, obviously, it's Lucasfilm, right? So they documented everything that was happening. So you really see everything that was happening. Oh, and that's the most important thing. I love being back in that world, and I obviously love seeing an appearance from... Mando! <laughs> Mando. <laughs> I don't even know what the fuck he was talking about. Something about I think it was in the uh, I sent Kate a video of me like reacting to it. I'm like I promise this is the only one I will send. He <laughs> was, was like, talking about Mando. The environment is so realistic. Yes, he was talking about how nice it was to act in an environment that you could respond to immediately. And not be a green screen and be like, look, you have to look at that thing over there. Right. You have to be like, oh, the lava. Like, but actually being able to see everything and sort of feel it in a way. Um, he was saying how cool that was. Speaking of volume, am I, am I right? He talked real loud. That's the joke. Uh, if, I have to <laughs> give, if I have to give it a grade, it's like an eight. I mean, half hour. Bless. Bless. Half hour. Went down real easy and like, you know, listen, when I run out of things to watch and I want to jump into something real quick, you know, before bed, I could see myself going back to this and watching, watching the rest of them. Yeah. Jumping in and out. Definitely. Yeah. If you just want to know about the history of Baby Yoda and see some of the awful prototype drawings <laughs> that they came up with. Oof. Yeah, I know. I'm so glad. Hey, thank, thank God for <laughs> that. So thank glad. God for that dude who got, who got the winning design because some of them yeah. were a little too Yoda and not enough baby. It's so wrinkly. <laughs> <laughs> that is on Disney Plus. Moving on to the thing I brought Kate, where I was like, "Holy shit, I haven't given Kate anything yet. What am I going to give her?" Oh, right. Maybe I'll give her that thing I was like just going off about so much before we went on Dry July, and I said yeah. I would give to her. Now that I've seen the whole season, and just like one sentence was like, "Oh, you've got this, obviously," and that was Thunderbolt Fantasy. You've heard me talk about it. Now we're going to hear Kate talk about it, friends. Thunderbolt Fantasy, or Sandoborto Fantasy, Torikin Yuki, Thunderbolt Fantasy, Sword Travels in the East, is a Japanese-Taiwanese glove puppetry television series created and written by Jen Orobochi, who you will know from uh, show running, I don't know if he's show run, but he definitely wrote all the scripts for Madoka Magica, um, and produced as a collaboration between Japanese companies Nitro Plus and Good Smile Company. Oh, Good Smile did this. Good Smile makes uh, Nendoroid figures. Those adorable little chibi oh. figures. Um, and the Taiwanese pro puppet production company Pili International Multimedia. The series began airing in Japan July 8th, 2016. Uh, simulcast on a bunch of places, including Crunchyroll for the West. The plot is set in an Eastern fantasy setting. Don Fei and her brother, guardians of a sword known as the Tian Qingjian, are pursued by the evil Zulang Zhong clan. I'm butchering these names. Please forgive my whiteness. Um, who seek to obtain the sword for their master, Mi Tian Hai, 
While her brother is defeated, Faye, who possesses the sword's crossguard, escapes and finds herself in the care of a wandering swordsman, Shang Buhuan, and a mysterious man named Ling Zhuiha, who become her protectors from the pursuing Zhuan Guizhong clan. Um, we will probably just refer to people as their, like, titles. Like, yeah. en- Enigmatic Gale, or Dude with Sword. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I had mentioned at the time that if you wanted to see a version of this, Taiwan has apparently been doing this style of show, which is basically just like Thunderbolts, like Marionette, Team America type puppetry. Mm-hmm. Uh, Taiwan has been doing these for a long ass time, and there is a version of it on Netflix by the same company, by the same production company. But this version as well was Thunderbolt Fantasy was written by a Japanese guy for the Japanese market, just with, co-produced with this company that does this for a living. So even though... War of the Dragons, which is the thing on Netflix, looks very similar to Thunderbolt Fantasy. Personally, narratively, story-wise, design of puppets, I kind of dug Thunderbolt Fantasy a little more. Anyway, murder puppets, y'all. That's what it is. So, I guess there's really nothing to do but clear out the lane and see if Kate enjoyed murder puppets nearly as much as I did when I discovered them. So uh, it was like 8 o'clock last night, and I was like, oh, I, and I knew this stuff was about half an hour, 25 minutes, half an hour. I was like, I better start watching it. And I was like, senior correspondent, uh, we're going to watch Thunderbolt Fantasy. And he's like, what is that? I was like, oh, it's the thing for the podcast. He's like, oh, it's an anime. And I'd watched the clip you'd sent me, and I was like, no. Not exactly. But I didn't tell him what it was. <laughs> Not exactly. No. So I find it. Uh, thank you, Daily Motion, if you're looking for this thing. Um, and I start it and like five minutes in when somebody explodes, Mm -hmm. literally senior correspondent went, holy shit. (laughs) He was, and then five episodes later where he was like raring up to put the next one on, I was like, I I have to go to bed. I'm so sorry. I, I had to go to bed. Now, we both enjoyed this immensely. Mm. Um, but I was specifically surprised about how good the writing was. Really? Like, yeah. Like, there's a bit of this sort of lost in translation, like, Japanese slash Korean stuff where I'm like, I think that would probably be funny for a Korean audience, but mm. it's not specifically for me. And they just had some really good fucking one-liners, and, like, the characters were really nuanced, and a character, uh, the the guy from the East, the blonde-haired guy, um, that you funny, think is yeah. going to be, that you think that's going to be annoying and whatnot, isn't. Um, he's got some great lines. Um, uh, just just from, like, the writing character perspective, like, it, it was, there were, there were laugh-out-loud moments, like, actually laughing at the dialogue and the banter between people and a puppet like smacking another puppet um it was really really good um this story is a lot it's a very straightforward story so there's not like six subplots right there is one story the story and there is some mystery but there is one story which is these are the things we have to get these people we have to get these elements we have to get to the tower of seven sins and this is how we do it right bad um, bad dude really wa- bad that. dudes want thing bad dudes have part of thing we need to go get thing back so bad dudes don't have it that's yeah that's it it's very important so 
that was very that was a, a, a surprise and a, a delightful surprise um i was expecting the writing not to be great but maybe the action was great now the action was phenomenal people explode arms get cut off there's blood that like spurts out of puppets mouths um like to the, to an extent i described it before as like crouching tiger with puppets but i mean it's really like crouching tiger combined with dragon ball with puppets yeah and and you know there's all the the same like or or very um well-known like posturing in right. anime or you know of the like um i you know uh he's only at three thousand but i'm at five thousand and oh no he's taken his weights off and now he's at ten thousand like not those numbers but there's definitely this element of like there's I, a lot of anteing up. I will talk about how sense? great I am, and my attack has a name that's 15 sentences long, and like. Also, always love that they call out their attack. <laughs> Best thing ever. Um, their attacks are fa- are great, so they use like the, uh, some CGI, obviously, to do the magic. Um, love the fucking Gandalf-esque wizard, who is like, no, I don't know that much magic. I just know some fire tricks, or it's just hallucinogenic smoke and i'm <laughs> like smoke. oh we know you're bullshitting <laughs> we know we know you're super powerful um he's called the enigmatic gale the enig- like the enigmatic he gale a, he has a name um the fact that the we're just calling her a tiefling because that's what she's in D the necromancer tiefling mm. uh who is called knight's lament thank you both of us like wrote down the name immediately <laughs> we're like we're using this and stuff <laughs> Um, like we were just totally engrossed and entertained, um, because it's puppets and literally it's just a hand in a piece of cloth and then heads. There is no like gratuitous sexuality or sexiness of the characters. Like, I think the most, uh, chest you get is from the guy, the, the crazy sword guy with the mask who... I was not expecting to join their team. Thank you very much. Like, that was – talk about a twist. I was like, oh, he's going to be, like, a bad guy who, like, shows up to try and hurt them all the time. No. The wizard was like, come join us. When we're <laughs> through, you can take my head. I was like, whoa. So, like, great storytelling because I was surprised. Sorry. That, um, that person Kate's referring to is a screaming phoenix execution. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yes. That's, that's his chill name? Um, and like, uh, yeah, they just, they did such a good job of, of having all these like cool, distinct powers, uh, for people. And, and then besides all of that other stuff, the puppeteering is fantastic. It's, um, it's rare to see things yeah. and not have any idea how it's done. Like, even if you don't know all the details, like, you know, you know, baby, you was a yeah. puppet, you know, that there are like servos in its head making its eyelids move. I could not tell you how they do this shit. And yeah, like it's marionettes. Like I don't, I, I knew where, where's my Disney gallery on fucking Thunderbolt fantasy. Like so, I want that. So they've got, they obviously like they have the hand puppet part and then they've got some marionette part. And the only thing that I wish is because they have uh, like a jaw that, or a mouth that opens and closes a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. Um, and um, I wish they didn't make it move at all. Mm. 
that's the only part that I find even slightly just like pops me out of what's going on is the fact that occasionally when they talk, it'll just open a little bit. Right. Not like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like not yammering. Um, it'll just open a tiny bit and then close. I honestly just wish it stayed closed until, you know, someone has blood come out of their mouth. Then that's fine. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, that just it's just slightly distracting, but not not enough to have us not watch it. Um, <laughs> Apparently, yeah, just seeing like when I saw it, I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is amazing!" I think I texted you like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> and I I'd kind of forgotten about it, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, thank thank you for giving it to me because I did want to check it out." I'm so glad we did. But seeing senior correspondent's reaction <laughs> was like, "Yeah, that's exactly what I was like." I was like, "Oh my god." And and there are just moments that are really really cool and really really well done, um, and yeah, we both really liked the 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 demon necromancer, the tiefling we're calling her because she's got horns. She's pretty dope. Um, and just how initially she's like, I will never join your team, and then he's like, this thing, and she's like, oh, did I say that? <laughs> I just yeah, that was that was entertaining and funny and. And again, yeah. to kind of go back to like, you know, what Kate was saying about the very pl- simple, like folkloric story that they're working in, all these people are joining the team because they have a skill that is required to like overcome some obstacle to get them to their destination. Like yeah. the necromancer yeah, is there because there's going to be zombies they got to fight at some point and she can like control them and chill them the fuck out. Like, yeah. Um, her night's lament song, I guess is what they call it. But, yes. um, there's also just. It's, it's the joining of a D&D party, right? Mm-hmm. So there's that element of it, which is a lot of fun. Um, and we we do this thing where when we have a, a piece of entertainment that's like that, we're always like, okay, so this one's the fighter, this one's the barbarian, this one's, you know, the warlock. Um, so we, we have fun doing that. And they, they do. They have some archetypes in there. Um, but there are no characters that grade on you. I know occasionally I find in Japanese and Korean media um, that there'll be a character that's just, like, so annoying. Um, but they don't have any of that. So it was, like, a really easy watch. Um, yeah. It was it – was, the main character is actually he – doesn't, he doesn't yell a bunch, <laughs> which is nice. <laughs> um, he's just kind of chill and is like, and, what and is so, going on? And so put upon. <laughs> Yeah, he's like, oh, he always does this thing with, like, his hand, or he's just like, you know, like, what is going on with his head? Um, so, yeah, it it was great. Like I said, we got to episode five. Uh, I know Chris is raring to watch the rest of the episodes. Um, so, yeah, we're both, we're both excited that we have a show to watch. Oh, and you've got and so much of it, too, because they did. It's still ongoing. Uh, oh, my God. They actually? Did, they did a second season, which I have not. I've only seen a couple episodes of. Um there was a, yeah, there was a second season, there was a movie, um, and there was, the third season has been delayed, uh, due to COVID, um, obviously, because it's a co-production between countries, can't really shuttle back and forth between Taiwan and Japan right now, so that has been put on pause, but yeah, they're, they're planning more of it. I thought it was a one and done, but no, it's been, this has been what dude wants to do, so your man, your man Urobochi has just been like... I want to keep writing murder puppets. So that's what he's been, he's been doing. Um, I will say one thing that I not had a problem with, but I'm just curious if you cared enough. Um, I definitely found that with a lot of the backgrounds and stuff, like the, like a samesiness, like definitely season two looks just like season one. Like 
and the movie, oh, well, they and, just... and the movie looks just like the rest of it. Like, because they're obviously working in like you know probably a space the size of my apartment, right? Like, there's yeah, like I that didn't we didn't mind. Like, there was times where we're like, uh, oh, they're reusing the you right. know, dollar store plants that they got, right? Like, <laughs> like that oh, that that's... is. When they go to a village, that's when I noticed it. Because it's like, clearly, you yes. know, you have these guys with just the, the most elaborate robes in the world and, like, the beautiful sculpted faces. And then it's, like, <laughs> random villager. And it's, like, an orange with a smiley face painted on it. Like, that's the <laughs> that's the level of puppetry yeah. they get. Which I found so, a little jarring. But, again, it's not enough to... The show's doing so much well that it's not... It's going to take more than that to, to knock it. Yeah. I, I didn't find that it was that it pulled me out at all. Um, so, yeah. But, yeah. So, it is a 9 out of 10. 9 out of uh, 10. I'll put a thundercrack. Yeah. I'll put a thundercrack in for that 9 out of 10. Yeah. I was not expecting how much I would enjoy it. And I really, really did. And, again, very cinematic. Um, there was definitely this urge to, like, want to know more. But there's actually not that much information about, like, Taiwanese puppet culture. Um <laughs> I do think and, I do. I will say I do think I posted a link or something about it, and or I mentioned it to uh, another longtime friend of the pod, Joycey Vogues, who had like had travel. I like lost my mind on her because she had like she's got family in the Philippines and she had traveled throughout Asia last year, a couple years ago, and like just randomly walked through like some sort of like museum e- exhibit where the puppets were, but she didn't know what they were. She was just like, "Oh, those are pretty." <laughs> I'm like, "You saw the puppets? <laughs> you saw the puppets, IRL." <laughs> So, yeah. yes, give, give me give me my give me my eight part documentary on Thunderbolt Fantasy, <laughs> or tell me if like yeah, the DVDs but... have them. I'll get them cheap off of eBay. Yeah, that's what we want. Well, friends, uh, so yeah, that's on Crunchyroll or Daily Motion. Apparently, support the industry, but it's on it's on Daily Motion. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think that'll just about wrap it up. Sorry for the quick exit, y'all, but I gotta go. I gotta go do my part for for capitalism this afternoon. Because I love nothing more. You know me. <laughs> if you want to tell me how much you love capitalism, you can get at us on twitter.com slash geekdownpod. Tell us how much you love working for the man. And we'll be back next week for what will possibly be the reclaimed and resurrected cinematic September. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. We'll <laughs> Either way, friends, thank you so much for joining us. It truly does mean the world to us. My name is Jordan Ferguson. My name is Caitlin McKinnon. The theme song is by Rob Gasser. And we hope you will join us next week for another amazing episode of Geek Down Podcast. Just delete it and then no. just start over. We now have 55 minutes to do this. You know what?